Hey, friends, where you been? How come you haven't been calling? How come you... You ever have that, friends? You ever that, that, that person in your life where they haven't called you in a while and now they're blaming you? Well, I was just kind of messing with you there because that's what I was doing. But of course, you haven't heard from me and Stacy because we've been kind of taking a little pause there. We'll explain why we took the pause, some stuff going on in our lives. We'll catch you up a little bit on a controversy related to an article that was published about me. It's about science, but it's about so much more. It's about empathy. And the question that's now starting to arise in some conservative Christian circles, is empathy dangerous? Is empathy a problem? Is empathy a sin? We're going to talk about empathy and whether it's good for your soul. Thanks for being back with us, friends. We're going to be around. Don't you worry. School's starting, and here we go. Come along for the ride. All ahead full. Well, we finally are back to it. <laughs> we missed a good listeners, you know. Oh, well, this is this is actually kind of funny because this is the third attempt at recording this podcast. <laughs> and basically the first time. Too you, hot. Uh, yeah, a little, a little too, too spicy, too emotional or whatever. We're like, you know what? This is probably the podcast we will never, uh, never release. You yes. know, uh, we've only done that once. Like yes, that. this is the only time good. we've ever done that. It felt great. But I don't know if it was prudent. Right. And then um, and then the next time we attempted. Was to, good enough? I think, I don't know. It, we were probably recorded for an hour and a half. Yeah. And then when you went to uh, check the files. It the file was, was corrupt. Man. It was gibberish. So Corrupted file not working. I'm hoping this was working. I'm hoping that we get through it. But I'm glad to uh, be able to reconnect with our listeners. Today, friends, we are talking about empathy and the question of whether or not there's such a thing as what this guy Jim Rigney calls the sin of empathy. The reason this was really important to us is because it's started to make sense of what people were accusing me of doing. And I'm like, well, you're accusing me of, 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 of empathy? And being open. Well, let's, let's give a little backstory. Let's here. give some backstory. <laughs> we had the greatest time up in, up in Oregon, we, a lot of places. Yes. We took a, a nice trip up the coast. We will uh, do another show soon and sort of unpack, you know, s- some of the lessons from yeah, uh, this trip. We do this that trip. when we take yeah. our road trips. What do we learn? It's important for us to kind of... Well, And then we also find, too, that when you're in the middle of it, it's also sometimes hard to fully, like, process and digest what that is. And, it, and it's when you come back, you know, that you can kind of think on that time and and really sort of, you know, what, what stands out, you know, that kind of thing. So we'll, we'll do that show later. Uh, but... At a point there, you know, we had your brother's wedding. It was wonderful. As we have, I think, I believe we've mentioned before that we definitely gained a sister-in-law and a whole other family. It's I think we mentioned it twice before, but both of those shows beautiful. did not make it. Yeah, so that's me. what I'm, <laughs> at this point, I, we if, if we repeat ourselves, I'm sorry. But it I, really was yeah. amazing. It doesn't always happen, right? Sometimes families don't uh, connect as well, but this was just so great. It was amazing. And we had a wonderful, wonderful time and our, we were able to uh, have our our children join us up in yeah. the Portland area for the wedding. It was, you were the oldest of eight kids. Yep. And so many of your siblings were able to make it. A couple of them with younger children weren't. On to a bluff on the Oregon coast, we caught enough crabs to have a feast. These are, these are crabs that I haven't had since we lived in the Pacific Northwest because 
I refuse to pay 30 to $60 for something I used to be able to catch with my friend, Miss Dave <laughs> Betsy, in the Puget Sound. We were back on it, and it was great. Yeah. Uh, they are the t- Dungeness Crab's tastiest of all crustaceans. And that was fun. And then um, our, our new uh, sister-in-law's brother ended up, um, you know, kind of teaching us a new way to clean the crab. At yes, the end. So that was to break it, which, by the way, does play into our question of empathy. I was saying, you know, on our trip, we were, we were doing a vegan experiment, you mm-hmm. know, uh, vegetarian at least, but, um, but uh, the, the one piece of wiggle room there, well, the two, was the honey and the uh, oysters, which I really still believe in. Right. Uh, we'll talk about another time. But the, uh, but the crab thing was hard because the, the, the little guys running around, and I, I will talk about this at, a, at another date, like my, my emotional status. Well, let me not. Let me, let me just mention this one thing about, okay. about the animals. One of the great insights I had about all of this journey that we did with food, and we're still doing with food on this uh, season, um, showed me something interesting about empathy, if I may. This is maybe helps us to set up this, okay. this thing. Uh, I originally wanted to become vegan, veg- vegetarian, something in that in that spectrum, mm-hmm. because of my gout. Right. And then you need to change up your diet. Once I changed my diet up, I started feeling really, really good. And then after a little while, I no longer had this panic like I wasn't getting the proper protein. My body started to get used to what I was eating, to the point where. Now, I find meat unappetizing mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. There are some I, dishes that I wish I could have, but for the most part, I don't need to have a steak. Yeah, I, not... I'm joining you very much in that feeling. In fact, often when I think about the meat, I, I think I, I know I will get an upset stomach <laughs> after eating it. Why this matters is it then created in me a feeling of horror at ever going back to eating meat. I'm not judging you, dear listener. Because you know I love the brisket in the old days. What happened was my body no longer desired it. Mm -hmm. So that allowed my brain to be empathetic towards the little baby cows. Mm. I hadn't been able to really think about the conditions for pigs in American farming practices. Right. uh, Which, by the way, they say that there's only, what, 4% in the entire country that are actually ethically... Farming pigs? According to the the will of the Californian people. So the Californian people said, hey, you know, we want pigs to be treated well if we're going to eat pork. And these are the standards we have. So now all of a sudden there's going to go into effect, I think, in January, you know, no more 99 cent bacon. Because 99 cent bacon tastes like pain. Yeah. And I, I never would have gone that route. I am not here to be a militant <laughs> vegan or vegetarian. I'm... Simply saying something, there was, there was a phenomenon where... There's something that switched in kind of I your, your could brain. not have empathy. I could not feel for the critters because I had such an implication in their death mm-hmm. that I just couldn't even consider it. Once I no longer physically desired it, all of a sudden I realized the, like the deep ethical empathy... Mm-hmm. That I now have for at least the mammals. Well, and one of the things that we had talked about on the show was we were going to try to, this summer, go to a slaughterhouse. And, and I couldn't do it. We couldn't bring ourselves to do that. Just, I mean, we did get to a goat farm. Yes. And we loved it. The ladies that ran that place were cool. And We'll uh, talk about that more later. We'll talk about it more later. But like, so, so, but I was able to do that, but I couldn't, I couldn't get past the slaughter. 
What I was able to do, though, was find, back to your point, a, a way that I feel okay about dispatching the crab. Mm-hmm. Because you put your, uh, your, uh, your index fingers over the claw and you just kind of crack them in half over the bucket. It's a real quick process and I dig it. But even then, I had like, you know, there's an emotional connection. Kind of like, you know, the Native Americans, they would eat the animals, but they also had a deep kind of spiritual connection to them and love for them. So maybe I'll get a you know, tattoo of <laughs> my totemic animal, the crab. Not that big deal. But the point is, yeah, I love that crab. But, but having the new family member show us what to do, mm-hmm. wasn't that pretty cool? Made that easier, yeah. So we had a wonderful time. So basically, here we are having a wonderful time. We had a wonderful wedding celebration. And the kids were joining us. And it was a beautiful moment. Um, as I like to say, when I have those moments, there is a, an eternal quality to it. It, it. It's beyond just happiness. There's a joy to it that I call, it's a little slice of heaven. Mm. And one of the things that we've also learned is if you're ever having one of those moments and you can sit there for at least, I don't know, 10 to 30 seconds that that can get sort of locked into your brain as something, you know, that you can always call on and remember that normally, you know, there might be a couple of, you know, like basically of all the good things that might happen to you in a day, you'll remember all of the disturbing bad moments. Yeah, a few seconds of pain <laughs> sears itself into your memory for adaptive reasons. It helps us to survive. In and, the you know, to avoid, world. yeah, avoid certain situations or people, those kinds of things. You Yes, definitely. It's definitely there for your own good. So if we take a moment and, you know, when you're in one of those like joyful times and, you know, or a happy moment and you just sit on it and, and kind of be present in that moment for a second and really, you know, think on that, that that will help, uh, you know, sear that into your brain in the same way that, you know, that to counter, I guess, some of the, the painful the, the painful things. Anyway, so we were having such a great time and uh, our oldest basically was kind of like as we were going to the airport, it's sort of like everything was a little too magical. I feel like somehow this magic is, it, there's got to be some sort of almost like a consequence on the other yes. side of it, you know? Yes, we have to experience some pain because that has been sometimes how it's gone. Like when we've had those wonderful moments with the kids, then something really terrifying showed up. So we were waiting for it, and then we drop them off in the plane. They they uh, text us as they're as they're landing. Well, one of the th- so the first thing is is we find out that uh, our youngest ended up um, losing their passport on the on the trip, right? Yep. Um, and then then they couldn't get picked up from the airport because. Uh, uh, the catalytic converter was stolen out of our our Prius, <laughs> and which, yep. by the way, I think it was like a thirty three hundred uh, dollar fix. Thankfully, uh, our insurance paid for that. I just had to pay the deductible. I don't think the car was worth three thousand dollars. So there you go. <laughs> but it's like it's like here, you know. There's just one more thing, you know. Um, and then there were also other things that were going on with us, which I'll say in a moment. But I'm gonna I'm just gonna go ahead and read this little text. Uh, sort of conversation that happened between uh, me and our uh, daughter-in-law, Sydney. So she's quoting Augie, uh, our son, and says, uh, the moment you have a good time, God has to piss on your face a little, and then a little cry face. We all made it home safe and everything was chill. And then right at the end, Aiden's passport goes missing. And now it seems like some Costa Mesa thieves stole our catalytic converter. But love you guys. Have a fun rest of your adventure. Already missing Portland. 
And then I respond, well, it doesn't have to have to take away the fun we had as that is forever. And hopefully it's not God pissing on us, but rather the ills of an unjust society. And hopefully we can continue to spread the love and not let the hiccups bring us down. At least that's what I'm telling myself as we have to get the truck looked at as well. And Bendy was depressed when y'all didn't come back. And of course, dad and I have been a little melancholy. been a little melancholy as well. Love and miss you guys so much. I'm beyond grateful that we had the time with you, um, with you all that we did. And then she responds, society, and I think in general, there are those negative spiritual forces that try to knock you down when you're especially thriving, but we can fight them off with love and good energy and maybe some sage as well. Aw, Bins, give her extra cuddles from us and us too. It was so wonderful sending you lots of positive vibes. Yeah, so that's kind of what we're that we're we're doing. That's our conversation. There's a lot of other stuff going and on. And it made though. us think though, like, you know, is it always gonna be that this other, you know, this other shoe will drop that uh God will somehow punish us? I don't like or to the think devil. of I don't like to think of it as uh, you know, I don't I don't believe God does <laughs> it's not God, you know, it's coming from some other other source. Um but so on top of that, then we then kind of while this is all sort of unfolding we're at this dinner with uh, your brother and um, our and new sister-in-law, new sister-in-law, and, and then her friend and, and some of their family. And this was probably one of the worst restaurant experiences I've had in a very long time. Which came on the heels of like every day going great. My brother Scotty was so excited to show us all this place. He ended up sinking a lot of money into it because he didn't want people to pay for the bad experience. But but basically, like our party kind of grew. We didn't realize some of the uh, the friends, other family members were coming, and so we were looking for a spot that we could all fit because the original seats that we had didn't. And so then, you know, his brother asked to be able to move a couple tables together. We get permission from somebody. Apparently, it wasn't the right person or whatever. And then what what ends up happening is a host of the whole staff looking. From, we're on the patio, looking from the restaurant window in at us. Just, just scowling at scowling us. Scowling at us. And one woman even <laughs> came and just stopped and stood there and just watched us and had like the most angry, upset, annoyed yeah. face that I've ever seen. If you seen. know my brother, Scotty, he's the sweetest heart in the world. Yeah, I mean, just we weren't no, there to hurt anybody. No and as the, um, the kind gentleman that was with us, uh, that was part of the, the friend's family, he says... It would really be nice if instead of just scowling at us, if they could help us, you know, find a solution. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's like we just we weren't trying to hurt anybody. No. We just wanted we just wanted to find a space that we can all be together. So anyway, it ended up being Plus that you and a, your brother we, went inside. The child. To, we didn't realize the child uh, that was with us was horrified about going inside because of COVID. Right. right? And of like, course, so there's and all of course he's not vaccinated because he's a child. Right. And, and so, you know, you hear all of the, you know, the, the whole country right. is melted down and now he's supposed to be okay with the mask off indoors. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. it was just, so, so we didn't tough. realize all these things, but the, and even like when you and your brother went inside to now refigure, because we realized, okay, this patio seating isn't going to work. We're in they just lectured ways. us. Yeah, all they did was yell at you. Anyway, <laughs> it was just a horrific thing. They Then eventually we moved to a different area. That wasn't acceptable. And we ended up feeling like we were uh, in detention outside because this was, <laughs> yeah. the, the whole thing was. Don't ref- no, don't mention it because I don't want to talk about the place. But yeah, oh yeah, you can, you can say. You it can was say a refurbished school building. They can do their own research. 
it was a refurbished school building. Very cool concept. And it was a very, very cool idea. But anyway, it felt like we were all in detention. And, and I felt like I was in detention. <laughs> and well, and then, so there's all these text messages. And then you also get, you get a message from work. Yes. And that I'm in trouble, that somebody's contacting the university because they're worried about me. This is this happens every once in a while. I'm like, oh, now I'm getting fired too, right? So <laughs> all yeah. this stuff comes. Uh, and, and maybe we'll talk... You know, talk a little bit about uh, what it what it was that they were concerned about because uh, it it plays into our topic today on empathy, right? Right. Uh, the uh, The deal is there is a publication called Christian News, which is a right wing Lutheran publication. It is not an official publication of the church body of any church body. But it does have a kind of a, a range. It has a reach. It, it uh, is read by a lot of conservative pastors across America. So if you get featured in it, they sometimes don't leave you alone until your your career is dead or something, right? So they've they've been hounding, you know, Concordia, New York. It's closed. Uh, they were upset about uh, drag queen bingo. At uh, Concordia, Portland. Concordia, Portland is closed. We've kind of not been on anybody's radar as much, although I have been. Right? This yeah. is this is occurs every once in a while. But yeah, they were, they uh, they came at me in an article um, in in July, which right. I didn't know because we were you know enjoying uh, crawdad fishing. You know? <laughs> yes, right, right, right. And uh, but as but as so this when happens, you're when when work starts to contact you, you're like, okay, what's Here's, the context for this? So then you did a little digging yep. and you realize, oh, there was an article about me. Yeah. Okay. So when that kind of thing happens, it's not like I don't expect it. It's just, I don't really like conflict during vacation time. So right. I realized, oh, the vacation's over, the battle's back on. Would you read a little bit from the article just to give the context? The, the idea is this is primarily um, the issues about science. But the reason I cared about it, I'll explain in a moment, is it's about really empathy and the students and science and in in the context of protecting science students mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. from intellectual, spiritual, religious abuse. So the article is from July 5th, I believe. Um, and it's, it's basically something like title is something like, uh, you know, Concordia Irvine professor uh, supports theistic evolutionist. You know, this is related to uh, my friend Josh Swamidas, which I'll talk about in a moment. Would you go ahead and read just a little bit of the, uh, the yeah, article? Yeah, so it says, Malinson, a professor at an LCMS school, serves a worldly approach to the understanding of creation. He professes to want to protect students, respect science, and not, and not invalidate the institution's faith commitments. That, that tripart thing, I think, is really helpful. I was actually glad that the editor did this. And he says all three cannot be done at the same time, though. So what are those again? So you can't protect the students. And respect science. Respect science. And not invalidate the institution's faith commitments. So something's got to go. The ideology, science, or the well-being of students. And I will say, hands down, first and foremost... Our most important thing is the students. It's the right. people. Because there's always a good chance that you got your ideology wrong. Our whole reason for being, the whole reason that Protect Your Noggin exists is to say that too many people are sacrificing their children to Molech, which for us is metaphorical in that you're saying, I'm going to 
have a bad view of what my religion is. I'm going to have a false view of what my religion is. And therefore, instead of this religion being healing and supportive and uplifting, it becomes something that's going to crush the young people in the culty behaviors and ideology that we propound. So whatever we do, even if you think you've got the truth, if you're hurting kids with the truth, that's not good. That's right. Go back to our very first shows. That's what we're all about. I like the fact that he's being very clear. He believes that you can't do real science, be truly faithful to your church tradition, and uh, look out for the well-being of kids. You can't do all three. I'm glad it's on the table. But if that's true, then the question is which goes. Right. <laughs> you know? And uh, it's not a very strong case for him to make for the one holy Catholic and apostolic faith if it is not able to coincide with the well-being of kids and science, I do believe. I bet what he means, to put the best spin on it, he means mainstream science as it stands. Maybe. Okay? Mm -hmm. But uh, continue. Modern science is thoroughly atheistic. Compare this... Uh, compare this review to the very thorough biblical one from creation.com in the same issue of Christian News. He's promoting a, a, just some other Another article, right? fundamentalist guy, yeah. So in this strange world created by academics, science and religion do not conflict. And if they do, there are no practical consequences. How convenient, exclamation point. I will say as a professional academic dude, it is not convenient at all. <laughs> we spend hours and hours talking about these things, how science and religion fit together or don't. Authoritarian views are harmful, according to Mallinson. Guilty as charged. But God is not a group thinker. He is the source of all authority. Science, as a method, treats the individual as being omnipotent, under no authority. I don't know where he gets that, but uh, that's why I don't, don't think that's true. But that does not work with the things revealed by God. Theology and science cannot be perfectly acceptable in all of their possible conclusions. This he is so right on about. May I just may I just pause on this for just sure. a moment? This is a, I'm going to try to shorten this as best I can, but basically theology is human conversation, that logos, that word. Mm -hmm. It's the word about theos, God. Mm -hmm. So theologi, theologians do theology, they do talk about God, which is very important for us to note. If we believe that God exists, then we would say, well, God is truth. Okay? Mm -hmm. So nothing, you, God is just truth. Truth with a capital T. Capital T, all caps. And so theology is not all caps truth because theology is our conversation about that truth. Right. It's either better or worse. And in our limited human understanding, we right. cannot possibly right. know all things perfectly about the God who can make all of this happen. This goes back to St. Augustine who says, if you can understand it, it's not God. It goes back to the uh, 16th century Reformation theologians who talked about the theologia viatorum, which is the theology of wayfaring strangers or pilgrims. You're always getting closer. You're always working towards a better understanding, but you always recognize that you're never fully arrived in this life. Your humanness is going to get in the way. Scientists also agree in their field. If you think about God... Is capital T truth, all, you know. Science is all T truth as well. No, no, science isn't. Nature is all T truth. Mm -hmm. Whatever is natural, whatever is, is. Right? God and nature cannot contradict each other. They're just, if they're real, if there's a real natural world and there's a real God, the God who creates this, the God who is in with and under this physical world, there's not going to be a contradiction. 
The problem is, just like theology is talk about God, biology is human talk about bios, about life, this biological life. And scientists, any scientist worth their salt, will recognize that science is tentative and uh, it, it is ev- evolving. <laughs> you know, it is, it is adapting to new data. Right. What's it when you adapting get new to? information, then theories sometimes get dislodged, right? Yes. So theories can be very powerful, but they are always trying to make sense of the data. Theology is based on theory, and science is theory. All trying to make sense of the facts of God's reality revealed in Scripture. If you, if you believe in Scripture, you would say that that's your data. So again, science is reflection on the data of nature. Theology is reflection on the data of God that we e- either get through experience or Scripture. Theology and science will often contradict but we can kind of be cool with that. Like Martin Luther said, sometimes, you know, with, with Copernicus, you know, who knows if Co- Copernicus, he thought, Martin Luther thought was wrong, but he let it be part of the university, held it together in tension because he said the truth will work itself out. You don't right. have to protect it. You, you bring it out into the light. Right. What's not truth will fall away. The yeah. theories will pass. That's what science says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. If, you're, if you've got faith in um, the process, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Continue. So as he says, contradictions may and do present themselves, as we said, uh, especially regarding the dating of the physical world and our direct origins. The end result advocated seems to be, think whatever the secular world is telling you while still calling oneself faithful. Of course, the singular authority of scripture of God's word cannot remain in such a scheme. If it cannot never be wrong or correct false science, it is not an authority at all. The game has been rigged in the favor of science, whatever man creates, instead of God's word. Not only does Mallinson seem to hold a non-biblical evolutionary views, he is like a child making fun of his old-fashioned parents for even thinking the disagreement matters. More than once, this is a quote from you, more than once professors in our denomination have been hassled for suggesting that the earth just might be old, end quote. The possibility of scripture correcting an academic seems so far from reality in this approach. What arrogance is displayed. In this open approach, no firm conclusions dictate right and wrong based on God's eternal word. Empathy and openness are spoken of, but theology demands more than hospitality among academics. Those who profess to teach the truth. No real substance is offered because unyielding doctrine must be sacrificed on the altar of worldly peace. I do like how he, he, he's got unyielding doctrine. Mm-hmm. I, like, there's things that I'm not backing down from, so I get that, but that is kind of the flavor of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, stubborn? <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's what I hear there. But. Well, yes, and that you have a have a perfect understanding of everything in yeah, your doctrine. That's what I mean, right? right? Like that there's, there's nothing possibly that could be learned. All right. And Th- that makes it kind of boring to do the research. And that somehow like there's that like a worldly peace isn't, it's only achieved, I guess, by becoming less godly. I would mm-hmm. think if you're, 
are embracing the ways of God, then that in itself would help promote. You're saying that the the paradox presented here is that the only way for us to be godly is to be ungodly towards people in our demeanor. I think so. That's what it seems to be saying. It's all right to be a, a jerk. Science demands freedom from confessional commitments, while a theological confession cannot be open-ended. The fact of creation is simple. And if a theological truth is also a physical, natural fact, it overrules all contradicting scientific observation. Granting equality to error, authority to science as a means of knowledge, is to give up the superior position of God's unerring truth. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. And that's Romans 3, 2 through 4. And I will say that again, 100%, I fully agree with that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. In any case, yeah, I think that's, that's exactly where, where I'm glad he left off because it's saying, all right, like, let's, let, let's see who's telling the truth about things. Yeah. But let's say all the pastors, let all the pastors be wrong. <laughs> let them be found to be liars because God's truth is God's truth. The truth doesn't need these cats to protect it. Right. I believe that if you really believe in this stuff, if you believe in the natural world, if you believe in God, you're going to let it play itself out and you don't have to worry about it. It's not about authorities at all. As well as <laughs> It's about opening your eyes to truth. And as well as the what it what really scares me is the shutting down of a conversation of even uh, the debate or discussing when certain things are seeming to be in contradiction to one another and and that kind of thing. Like to even it's, it sounds like he's saying it's even wrong to consider getting in a room. There's these old dudes, these old dudes figured it out and you're being, um, you're being bad for asking any questions. Now I'm going to get to the, to the, 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 the kind of the setup for why, why this is even something that he's talking about. But it is interesting that, that this goes in with this idea of inerrancy being weaponized we've talked about before. They want you to say, believe the Bible by which I mean my interpretation of it that I figured out in 1948 before other evidence came out about anything. Right. Biblical text evidence, uh, linguistic evidence, um, biological evidence, doesn't matter, right? Like we figured this out at some point and therefore like don't even ask the questions, which is hard because I'm also an academic. Not that hard, given the fact that I'm teaching history right now. It's just not an issue. This is the thing that makes me a little uncomfortable about this. I believe that there is at least a conspiracy theory, not related to Christian news, but maybe what's going on here uh, can be explained in this way. We did a show, which is like just a basic show. It's not like cutting much ground, but we were introducing uh, Lutherans for Racial Justice to our listeners. We were talking with our friends over there. And we noticed, because you can see this, friends, on your, uh, you know, your, your analytic tools online, you can notice when there's a spike in listeners. And you can also then drill down and say, you know, where generally are these listeners coming from? Don't worry. We can't figure out exactly which of you are listening and where you're sitting at that time. But you can see, here's, you know, somebody listening on an Apple device in Memphis, Tennessee, 
you know, like you can know that there are listeners in Norway and in China and so and basically, whatever. I think um, the the way that some of this seems to appear to be that we were on certain people's radar because of the Lutherans for Racial Justice show. That's what we largely, think. yeah. Because um, all of a sudden, it's got this huge spike from bef- Midwestern people. And then there were a few shows before that that I think people started yeah. looking into that they right. were, were also, um, you know, interested. But in. you know, it's not really popular in society these days to hassle me about the race thing. It's not going to get me fired, right? And so instead, they look and they pull from something that they found from a year and a half ago yes. that you wrote, and it's been out there on for a the long time. internet for. A year and well, a half. my en- part of my endorsement is on Josh Swamidas's book. It's called "The Genealogical Adam and Eve." By the way, fascinating book. May I say what this was all about? Yeah. Josh Swamidas is somebody who came to Concordia for a. Uh, we invited him out for a uh, for a conference that we do, the Crosswise thing, and then we had him out uh, again for a convocation, and uh, you know, really inspiring to the colleagues because. One of the hardest things for church-related schools is dealing with science and religion in the very practical sense. How can I train young people to go into med school, to go into the hard sciences without having them get their butts handed to them because they don't have a proper training and at least the theories that they're working with, right? Mm-hmm. They just it, It's professionally dangerous for them. But more importantly, as I've said many times, my deep fear is that young people will be told... Don't trust your perceptions. Don't trust the evidence you're looking at. We know better. I've got a Bible over here. You've got your Bunsen burners. Don't think for yourself. Don't think for yourself. This is what I care about. And if somebody says, I think that the earth is old, or I believe that that uh, that there have been, let's say, like five million years of, of mammalian evolution or something, that that becomes something where the church says you're immoral. And that's my... That's my main problem, that if you're telling a young person that their interpretation of the facts is immoral because it disagrees with their interpretation of the facts, that's the road to abuse. Yes. We've said this, that that's what we're about. So if you listen to the show, friends, you know that that's you know, what we're about. And really, this is a big one because of that. Now, Swamidas, I really love this guy. I put him in the kind of the, the, the Micah Bournet, Justin Wren category of just sincere Christians that I wish I could be like someday. Because they just, they, they put their money where their mouth is. They, they take professional, personal risks uh, because of their faith, mm-hmm. right? And he was kind of really helpful to me, uh, gave me some guidance in life. Uh, in any case, uh, he, he uh, invited me out with several people like uh, uh, C, uh, 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 William Lane Craig, who's mm-hmm. uh, Talbot kind of science, religion, apologetics guy, uh, atheists, uh, mathematicians, you know, there's all, all different people coming together to talk about this project he was working on, the genealogical Adam and Eve. He is a computational biologist and he's dealing with, you know, genetics. He's at Washington University. It's just a fascinating thing. You don't have to agree with it or not. If you read my description of the, of the book, I was actually worried that maybe it was going to be pseudoscience that it was going to be trying too hard to be Christian and not be scientific enough as science. Because, friends, you got to recognize, yes, science does require you to leave your confessional commitments at the door. It's methodological naturalism. That is, it's not that you have to be an atheist to do science. It's that you can't bring God into the picture well, if you with, already, with your Bunsen burners. But here's the other thing. As an explanation. Yes, if you already... 
if you enter into science and and you already like know what you think the answer is, then you will sway the data in such a way that you will read it with only those eyes. Let me give you another example. I'm a Protestant, not a Catholic. Um, historians look at something like the, the Spanish Armada getting defeated by the English. Why did these little ships, the English ships, beat the Spanish ships? And people have thought, well, maybe it's because God's a Protestant, right? The Catholic Spaniards were mm-hmm. attacking mm-hmm. the Protestant uh, English. So maybe that's so he, true. That's the side he's on. But if you're a historian, you can't say that. Not because you can't say it as a person. You can't say it as a historian. I would be mad at you if that's what you said in the history class that I'm overseeing, right? right? You can think that after the fact. Same thing is true with science. You look at the data, you look at the, the instrumental causes to use Aristotelian framework, and you say, okay, this is why this happens. This is why this billiard ball bounces in this way. And you can look at the trajectory and the angles and the math, and then you could say, but the person won because they you know, had a positive spirit or, you know, there's all right. the, those other things there, right? But to do history, you have to bracket out God, not out of your life, but out of the explanation for this historical event. Same thing's true in, in science, right? right? So you do bracket God out, but for the purpose of doing science as your vocation. And it's not going to wipe away God <laughs> in that the things that are, are false human understandings Right. will will definitely yeah. um, possibly fall away. And by the way, I also agree with like a Richard Dawkins who says that the idea that God exists can also be theoretically tested. I, I don't think that spiritual ideas or spiritual claims, like if I claimed to have been healed, you know, if, my, if, I, if I had a leg amputated and, I, and you prayed over it and then my leg grew back, I would think that's testable. It would be a miracle, but it'd be testable. I, some of my scientific friends disagree mm-hmm. with me. It doesn't matter. So I'm not saying that it can't be. I'm just saying that you, you cannot jump right into gnomes are dancing in my, du- my tummy. That's why I got a bellyache. Right. No, you can't do that. Uh, it's like they know it is God of the gaps. Um, but the main thing, though, is the reason I thought this was interesting is this idea of empathy. And I couldn't, like for the last couple months, I haven't been able to figure out why is empathy something that people are using to attack me? Not here, here in other places. Mm-hmm. Until I realized, Stacy, what happened. This has been going on. There's a conversation about this. This is what you were saying. The you told sin me, of empathy. You told me this the other day. Now, can you please yes. explain to me uh, what they mean? Because I was like, I did a double. What? The sin of empathy? Yes. As if empathy can be a sin? Absolutely can be a sin now in this, in this construction. Now, it's obviously kind of... I mean, of where, I never read that in the Bible. Provocative. It's provocative. We've talked about Doug Wilson, a relatively loathsome uh, guy, you know, defending pre-Civil War slavery and, and things. Uh, bad news in mm-hmm. many ways, but very influential over the classical Christian school movement, so we knew a lot about his work for, for 20, 20-some years, you know. Uh, he did uh, a show with this guy, um, an interview with uh, Jim Rigney, and that's where the title came from, The Sin of Empathy. But here's the, the gist of it, as best I can tell. Empathy causes you to concern yourself too much with animals, LGBT people, people of color, non-believers. All these people are wrong, maybe. Not, not just because you're a person of color, right? But there, there's people that might have a wrong view, um, that they want rights or something, right? Now, I am going to change my position as a Christian mom if I get to know these people, 
Mm-hmm. If I get to know people truly, then I will see their pain and it's going to make it harder for me to hold the line on traditional doctrine, traditional family values, and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if, if I want to be a, a, a solid, unyielding Christian who doesn't believe that it's okay to be gay, for instance, and then I meet somebody and actually have to, to talk with them about their life story, then it makes it difficult for me to say what I was saying before about God's condemnation of, of gay and lesbian people, you see. Um, if I am supposed to be eating meat, because like a good red-blooded American does, and I go to the slaughterhouse and I feel that empathy, it's going to, it's going to be dangerous. Empathy is totally dangerous to the status quo. If I see immigrants and I see them in cages and I know them, I won't be able to tolerate that suffering. And so I will work for radical change. And so make no mistake, empathy is dangerous. It is very dangerous. (laughs) But it is a sin? it's it's, It's a sin in that, according to this way of thinking, it's not a sin, of course, but it's a sin in this way of thinking because what it says is that you are going to you are going to side with the sinners and not tell them the tough love stuff. So weren't we um, the greatest commandment of all according to Jesus is to love yes it, but, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But the way that you can love them sometimes is telling them that they're going to hell. That's judgment. Or to judge them that's is, loving. Is okay, love. see what I'm saying though? It's not loving to tell them not the truth, right? So if you think that if you wear a blue hat, you're going to hell, it's not loving to let people wear the blue hat diversity, tolerance, all of those things are bad because it's allowing the fabric of society to fall apart. I do believe, though, that we are the ones here on earth and we are the hands and feet of Christ. Yes. We are the body of Christ. Yes. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't think you are going to agree with these cats. We are the presence of the kingdom. And then in in that kingdom... There is love. Yes. And there is empathy. empathy. And seeing people. And there's compassion. <laughs> well, see, that's the part. Like, right, you could have compassion on these people, but empathy is when you're feeling their pain. So the idea is if you start allowing yourself to feel their pain, you can't put up with it. Um, and let me say that there is the part of the reason that this came up is there's this guy, John Piper, who I find to be problematic in many ways. Uh, I, I, I do not like John Piper's flow. I'll say, I'm, I'm not saying in many ways, but most of the ways I like him. No, I just don't like his flow. But in his church, Bethlehem Baptist, and by the way, if I'm getting any of this wrong, I am not going to look into it any more than I already have friends. All right, if you want to correct me on something, I'll, I'll, I'll share it later. So allegedly. No, 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 this isn't allegedly. I'm just saying like, is it Bethlehem Baptist? Is Doug Wilson connected with New St. Andrews? Yes, I know this. But if you are in the Reformed Baptist world, I'm sure I'm making small little mistakes the way every time somebody talks about Lutherans, they confuse yeah. the denominations. I don't gotcha, know. Gotcha. Bethlehem Baptist, a large church in the Midwest. Um, but th- three of the pastors kind of got either run out or they resigned. And there was this internal memo that they were talking about. The idea is that these people had too much empathy they were responsible. They were worried about people that were being sexually abused. They were worried about people of color who were not being respected in the congregation. And so they became part of the problem, according to some of the other pastors, because they were getting in the way of their ministry by bringing up all these issues. The issues, friends, that Stacy and I like to bring to you when we're not talking about food, that protect your noggin. 
In other words, protect your noggin is fueled by empathy. Right. If you can take 100%. away people's empathy, it makes it easier for them to do the, the tough things. stuff. Yeah, this is this is why the Nazis, you know, they'd have you, you you raise a puppy and then kill your dog so that you could sever that nerve that you would that you would cauterize that conscience. Well, and you and you you turn people into numbers, right? Yes. So that you don't have to feel their 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 whole story. You know, or, as, as you're working with customers, right? That yeah. There it's all numbers, it's all a transaction. It's or not you use a racial epithets connection. against your military enemy so you don't mind bombing their babies. Right. right? You are uh, you call them cockroaches so that the in Rwanda, you know, you can you can commit genocide against half the other population. You have to do it. You have to People do not na- naturally want to be cruel towards people that they see are human and have spirits and have right. feelings. So you got to dehumanize. Right. And uh, that's the battle, man. That's I mean, we're, We'll hit this one straight on. I mean, Jesus called everybody, what, brothers and sisters. Yeah. To bring in that equality that we are all connected. There was one person on... Um, on Twitter, uh, Sar, uh, forgive me if I'm getting the name wrong, Sar A.M. Brima, uh, on Twitter uh, writes, quote, uh, this is related to the same church situation, something that they left out of the Christian, uh, not the Christian news, but the Christianity Today news piece about this story, which I will link to on our show notes at protectyournoggin.org. I'll show you the Christianity Today article that does lay out some of these issues about empathy, but doesn't really mention the part here from uh, Sar. Uh, who writes, quote, my pastor said it wouldn't be sinful for him to own me as long as he treated us as Paul commands. This is straight out of that um, that uh, so inerrantist as as uh, Doug a, Wilson world. As long as you're a good master, right. then it's okay for you to yes. enslave in people. In fact, it's, it's the way the world works. So hierarchy is important. So slaves and masters, it's in the Bible. So I mean, it is, unfortunately, it. the world does uh, seem to... Uh, obviously live in a hierarchical way, right? That's, like, the, that's what it's all about. It hasn't always our, been that our way. Our businesses are designed that way. You have what the CEOs, the CFOs, the, mm. you have, you know, vice presidents, all these kinds yes. of things. You work your way down to, you know, the, the little guy at the, at the bottom. But, uh, and, and that little guy is not yeah. worth as much as the top dog at the very top, right? But that's, this is a relatively recent invention of humanity because in hunter-gatherer society, you don't have that same flow. So yes, it seems like it's inevitable to all of us, but this is in the era post-empire. Uh, and by the way, even in the old days when you had kings and queens, people didn't get in your business. Mm-hmm. Government has become very intrusive. If you're my libertarian friend or my anarchist friend, left or right of the side, I'm, I'm with you because... Um, whatever your values are, I think you should you should evaluate this idea of the domination system. Conservatives and liberals, th- you know, when we think about right and left, maybe not conservatives and liberals, they're both part of this big the system. Right. You could also step outside the system because the system is not inevitable. There have been hierarchies since the great Near Eastern uh, god kings mm-hmm. that who was trying to get away from uh, the people of God, right? So. So Abraham leaves Ur of the Chaldees because he is leaving the domination system. Right. When the people of Israel want to get the domination system into their lives, Samuel says, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Don't get a government. You don't want a government. And <clears throat> we don't want kings. So we have kings like King David and they uh, rape uh, Bathsheba and then kill her husband. 
And then Solomon comes along and he's got babies being sacrificed because one of his wives is cool with that, you know? So I'm not saying that those aren't interesting people to have a conversation with, but if you met somebody, if you met somebody at the Walmart who was responsible in some way for allowing babies to be murdered on behalf of a false god, you might find that guy to be too weird to talk to, you know? Um, David's basically, he's basically Scarface, you know, like say hello to my little friend. Like he's, 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 a, he's a godfather kind of guy, right? And he's got good parts. He's got some good songs that he wrote, you know. But the idea that the Bible is saying that we should have kings uh, is, that's the bad interpretation. Right. The king's usually not so good. <laughs> but that's what we've got, right? So it's the story of our lives in these world, in this world. Now, if it turns out, right, like we get to the New Testament, Paul's talking about slavery. He's talking about like hierarchical relationships between men and women. Some people think that he is he is uh, reinforcing it. Some people think that the early church was obviously radical and non-hierarchical, and therefore they needed to not push it too fast, too far, so that they wouldn't get overly persecuted. Mm -hmm. Kind of like if you're a, an evangelical missionary in Saudi Arabia, not a good idea to wear, you know, short shorts. Mm -hmm. Because you're just, it's like not helpful for your mission. You know, right. you're, you're not going to win people over to it. Anyway, um, I was kind of sad, and I kind of... Not, not just for me, it, it freaked me out a little bit just because I don't like to deal with just the hassles. Right. But it, it, it took us off our, it did take us off track for a few weeks. We well, had to like kind of reconsider like, like how, do we, how do we oppose these kind of haters? Well, and I, I guess part of what I'm starting to see so much is what often people call good is actually evil. And what is evil, evil is being called good. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, gaslighting has been a huge piece of this. That's the whole, um, that's the whole deal sometimes. I, think, I, I just see that so much harm and evil being done by Christians. Yeah. Uh, they're justifying so much yeah. pain. And, so much pain. And... I I mean like like destroying people's lives sometimes hiding and protecting sometimes the pastors when the some of the people in the congregation are are being hurt by the whole system but yet they try to tell the you know don't make a big deal out of whatever your pain is because you know that'll that'll affect the ministry and you know and and that'll that'll hurt you know the church's ability to witness the community or whatever it is no you hide those kinds of sicknesses and those things fester and grow and it is evil and it, it will only bear and there's going to be moments where maybe you're like this person changed my life but the overall whole thing the overall entire net, <laughs> you know, will it be a gain or a loss? It's going to be a loss. Yeah. You yeah. can't, I mean, it, in, in the individuals who uh, get hurt and then, and then when, when it's not resolved, then the, those in leadership that get empowered to hurt more other people. I mean, that happens because they got away with it or nobody's, nobody's really checking in on it or there's no real consequences. So they can keep going down that path. Anyway, it's just disgusting to see, you know, as we, there's a scripture you're reading just today where it all feels like it's all upside down. Yeah. And yeah. it can be sometimes overwhelming to think of 
how, when, when you start to see some of this stuff, how pervasive the sickness is. And all of the, you know, so many of the, the, the people and the places that you think we should be able to turn to for help um, are infiltrated yeah. by this stuff. Well, this is, this is what really got us down, friends. I mean, you need to know, like, we, we turned off our patron uh, We did. I, we, uh, you know, it was one of those things where we n- knew we needed to just take some space. And that we had, you know, we just needed to do self-care, right? Like, it's like we can't, right now we just needed to focus on some other things for a moment. And the odd thing too was that, you know, we, there was so much that we were kind of like leading up to at the end of this last academic year um, and just very difficult conversations and just feeling there's just so much pain and hurt that we saw. And a lot of those were coming back as we got back onto campus and knew a few came in. So we, right. But what what I really quick want to say is that it, it, it took us until I think July. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, to sort of actually like get a little bit of like, um, breathing, breathing space yeah. again, you know, cause we love the stuff that we're fighting, uh, but we, it takes a toll. We love the fights that we're fighting. We, 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 we love as we being say alongside that, students that for every hill that you will find us on is a hill that we're willing to die on because right. we will not stand on a hill unless we are willing to die on it. Right. right? Like, it's going to be worth, for worth dying, dying. Yeah, for, right, 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 right. And yet that takes a toll. It, yeah. it, and it really, it's, it, it's draining. It drains the battery. You know, um, and so I, it was important for us to kind of unplug for a second, uh, you know, really sort of figure out some some things, some life things, and then we got a couple of weeks of rest, and then and then back we come back, yeah. and and then you know, then we still couldn't you know do the 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 podcast because of a different kind of you know exhaustion that almost like in a weird way wiped away, uh, you know, those few weeks of that that time. It didn't yeah. like fully wipe it away because I know that, that was still no. But as we got back, for that now moment. I'm, I'm I'm going back to work <laughs> with all that stuff. So if you were uh, if you're a patron. Uh, we wanted to pause it for August, and we'll send you a little note about this because we want to give people an opportunity to say, "This is what we're still doing." Yeah, this is. And yes, they're coming at me. I don't know how prolonged and and serious they'll be, but like people are going to continue to hassle you. The, the thing is, once they're, you know, once they got you on the radar, sometimes they'll they'll be hassling you for other things. So we want people to know. We understand that it's very hard sometimes for you to share that you like our show. Because mm-hmm. we're politically, you know, maybe not uh, uh, not what you want to be uh, leading with uh, for a job or something in certain places, right? And you know, this we're kind of like just rolling with where we feel yes. that we are being guided and, yeah. and where these. Should. So it, where we are now, we never thought we'd ever be talking about uh, you know the spirituality of food and and, right. and, and so embracing a vegetarian and vegan or you and, know and and vegan life, you know, stupid cold so diets. If, if for some reason, you know, that you were supporting us before and this is, you know, we've wandered off into a territory that you no longer, we you know, are interested you, in supporting. We, we will get you the final copies of the books and stuff. So right. even if but you need to get out now, I'll still this is honor your, that. This is, this is our <laughs> way of saying no hard feelings if you would like to move yeah. along. Uh, yet on the other hand. If you're um, a new listener. And if you're enjoying this content and you want to help support us, I think we're coming to a point where we might need. Uh, yeah. the help more than ever. I, I've taken on a couple of extra jobs. Yeah. Um, and so that's going to make our timing harder in it. Yeah. Just this, it, 
is this is a labor of love, um, but there are costs involved and yep. things like that. And anyway, we could really appreciate, uh, we would really yep. appreciate uh, your support if you would like to see us continue. It's not just the show. It's not just the extra materials. Really what we found is there are conversations that just are too sensitive to put on the, yeah. on the podcast. And we try to help refer people. But, you know, one of the things we find, we find is that even like mental health people, um, lawyers sometimes are not responsive yeah. you know so we'll have these people i'm like well let's let's get you plugged in and and we're we're sometimes having a hard time finding people getting timely responses some of the people that have reached out to us don't have a lot of extra money yeah. and we don't have a lot of extra money you know and this is where to kind of bring it back around and, and to kind of close the show when we deal with empathy uh empathy is a professional hazard of being a professor yeah. and a podcaster that deals with these themes. Mm -hmm. Because the minute you know these stories, now it's like, these are people that I'm going to be thinking about probably for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And yet, I, I want to say also, as I'm doing this, I'm finishing up my America in the World Reader. I'm so excited. I worked with uh, the Black Student Union, uh, other students from Nuestra Voz, which is a, a different or organization on campus with students, to say, what are some readings we want to have? that we haven't had, you know, in our, uh, in our sophomore course. And so we're putting them together and it's great. But as I'm really reading them closely now, like Elizabeth Keckley, who is beaten and sexually abused, she ends up fortunately becoming kind of famous as the, uh, as the seamstress for Mary Todd Lincoln. But she tells this story in 30 Years a Slave plus three in the White House, totally worth checking out. But she tells this story about how she was a good, dutiful slave but she got beaten because she was too, she, she had, her spirit was too high. Mm. They needed to break her spirit. And who does this? The, the, the pastor, she, she is given to a pastor. So her slave owner is a pastor. Pastor was kind of quiet guy, but the wife thought she was too pretty. The wife thought that the husband was too nice to this 18 year old slave girl. So they sent this slave girl over Elizabeth Keckley over to the school headmaster who beat her for the sin of pride for the sin of pride. And then she comes back and complains to the pastor. Why would you let that happen? The pastor eventually hits her with a, with a, with a chair. Yeah. Now you read this and all of the stupid stuff where these people, these conservative Christians are mad at me for raising the race issue and saying that there's a problem when you go like, look, as Zinn says, the, there's a guy uh, who's a historian. He says, do not use up all your empathy for people from the past. Mm. That's gone. Can't do anything about Elizabeth Keckley's uh, suffering. What I can do is see it, learn from it, and don't waste my, 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 my emotional empathy battery on her, which is very hard. It was getting to me, right? As mm -hmm. a, what I need to do is channel that towards the empathy for those who are currently imprisoned, currently naked, currently without food, currently without homes, currently in abusive situations that they can't get out of. Right. Enslaved. Right. There's slavery in America and around the world today. It just doesn't have the same structure. Right. And so uh, empathy can be bad for you to answer the main question, is empathy good for you? Empathy can be bad for you if you allow it to spiral you into despair. Yeah. We need to stand together and we hope together, but we also act together. We help each other in these moments. Don't just 
give 50 bucks to charity. There are people that need your help. You get active and you get direct with this action. Well, and, and you, they're and alive you know, today. And even... You know, like our, our friend Micah Bornet, who says you can t- sometimes look in the past and say, you know, what would I have done? You yeah. know, the opportunity that would, you know, could have been there, you know, uh, before me to you know, maybe, you know, help talk about uh, black rights and stuff. March right? with MLK. Right. You can you know, march today. <laughs> you can march today. Right. What can I do today? What, you know, there, it, right now it's a time like this. Every time is a time Every like this. Mo- <laughs> you know. You've been made friends is what Stacey's saying for a time like this. You are the hands and feet of the holy. You are the body of Christ. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the kingdom. So get busy being part of the kingdom. Part of that is empathy because empathy comes from the mystical reality that we have found a way to be one with God. And when we are one with God, we see our unity with all human beings, all the children of heaven. We are all brothers and sisters. And when you see that, it is very hard to let them suffer. That's where the good empathy comes from. And when you do not let them suffer, you stand beside them and even to the point of the cross that you will, you will, if you have the strength within you, be crucified for your opposition to the systems that enslave and unjustly uh, uh, are cruel towards you know, I, of when, our family members. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but when I was younger, I used to always think of like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm so glad that I was born in America during this time because I don't have to be persecuted for being right. a Christian. And, well, folks... <laughs> if you're not being persecuted, you ain't doing it right. I think, I think that's... That not right now. ...is the case, you know. It's, un, it's unfortunate. Um, our, our, our friend Ernie was wearing a shirt today. Oh, and, yeah. And do you remember exactly what it said? But it's kind of like if you Ernie don't... Chico Perez. If you don't have, if you don't have enemies... Right. Yeah, it was a Nipsey Hustle shirt. If you don't have powerful enemies, you're not doing it right. Or, or something, something like that. Something like that. But, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. And the idea is not that you're trying to make the enemies. No. But the people... Please, friends. But the feel people, free to be our friend. <laughs> but the people that um, do not believe in goodness, truth, and beauty, yeah. when you are living out goodness, truth, and beauty... They become hostile. They become hostile. And they become enemies, unfortunately. But enemies are only people that you love that don't want you to thrive. You love everybody, but not everybody's going to be kind back to you. But that's all right, because we're not done with this world yet, friends. We're going to keep fighting. And there's going to be, there's a chance. There's a chance that they could wake up. They can see the light. They can see with new eyes, with new ears, and wake up and be part of the true kingdom. Because it's kind of nice. Here now. It is kind of beautiful. And in that kingdom is where you find deep peace upon peace. so much friends for joining us for this episode of the protect your noggin podcast you want to join in on the conversation we'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show you can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button and don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending you can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said I wasn't in the letter. He said I was going out of my mind.
going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter no too much. 